Welcome to Booktware. Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, no book review this week I uh, as punishment, really, for <laughs> you, the listeners, for most of the listeners now. Um, gave a status update to catch up in the event that you didn't follow this saga. I'll kind of go into it right now. So I thought that it would be... Um, good idea is probably not the right word. <laughs> That it would be productive for us to review the new E.L. James book, The Mister. To which Rob then said... No way. No way. For the... Really, for the first time in booked history. Yeah, that's the first time I put my foot yeah. down, yeah. Yeah, like we both pretty much mutually agree to some things we don't want to do. You know what I mean? Like Haruki Murakami, if that comes up, I always send it to Rob kind of as a joke. Because I know he's going to say no and I'm not really interested. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... We had come to an agreement on that episode that if I found someone else to review it with me, that, uh, you know, that that would be cool and that Rob would not participate in that episode. It would just be a review with me and somebody else. And I thought to myself, well, all right, so here's what'd be fun. We'll put it out there for the listeners because I could I mean, I personally could have reached out to people and I'm sure I wouldn't have had to send more than two or three emails before I got someone to agree to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the response was how many people responded that first week? Zero people responded. Zero people responded, which was disappointing, to say the least. So I went on a little bit of a rant. And then the applications started flooding, flooding in. So after I got really upset, people took me seriously. I, I think maybe they weren't serious, thought I wasn't serious the first time. I didn't think you were serious the first time. Exactly. So Rob and I sorted through all of the interested parties that wanted to do this. And we settled on... The one that was the most qualified, the most qualified, right, Rob? <laughs> yes, uh, by far. Yes. Um, and uh, that person, who's also the only person who um, who volunteered, is <laughs> Dino Parenti. Yeah, good old Dino. Um, longtime friend of the podcast, and I was lucky enough to, to meet him in L.A. 2016. Um, actually, at a... I don't know if you remember. So that was like the fifth anniversary of Booked. And even though you weren't out there, Livius, we did like a, a co-party with a Lit, Lit Reactor. Um, and yeah, it I was remember. partially like our fifth anniversary party. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he was there. We like met and hung out and everything. It was really cool. It's like the nicest dude. Very enthusiastic. And like, he's like talking to him was one of those experiences where uh, when we're not recording the podcast or like posting stuff for the podcast it doesn't really occur to me that people listen to it and think about it and so when he would talk when he when i was talking to him he's talking about what he likes about the podcast and stuff i was like oh oh he 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 listened you know it's one of those moments mm -hmm. so yep um but yeah super super nice guy a lot of way more energy than me so i'm interested to see how that translates into the review i don't know dino at all except that we travel in the same online social circles so i'm yeah. looking very forward to spending some time with him I, you know you said he was really upbeat and enthusiastic and i'm thinking man i wonder if reading this book will beat that right out of him like if i'm just gonna get a guy that's shattered <laughs> wait barely, beat barely it out of him the microphone. like is this like a 50 shades like bdsm kind of beat it out of him or uh, i could be Oh, I have you'll to wait have for the to, review. Yeah, I'll have to wait for the review. Exactly. So um, I will say without divulging anything else, 
Um, as the time of this recording, 8.03 p.m. Central Standard Time on May 7th, I am 82% of the way into this 500-page book. Ugh. So, I, but see, that's the problem. Right before the podcast, we were talking about um, Joe Hill's new book, right? Yep. It's coming out in October or whatever. And I said, hey, we should get on this and see about uh, about getting a copy of this. And Rob goes, all right, yeah, okay, this uh, this book. And I go, yeah. And he goes, ah, oh, shit, man, this is 500 pages. So I don't know <laughs> that it wasn't that you didn't want to read more E.L. James. It might have just been that there's something about that number that puts you off. Yeah, I mean, just back in the day, like your Dickens is aside. Like, people had the decency to keep the book short, right? Like, 200 pages in and out, you're done. I don't know if that was back in those days. I think that might have been a much more modern era thing. Well, in my mind. Okay. Because I was, I was thinking, like, we just did The Three Musketeers, and that was a oh, that was like monstrosity, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a wonderful book, but it was really long. And I think back to the other stuff I've read from Dumas, which is really the only stuff I've read from that time period, sadly. And they're all pretty lengthy. All right. Yeah. So some, at some point there was a golden age that I was not like, you know, alive for where books were short. Men were men and books were short <laughs> or whatever, you know? No. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure. But look, the trade off is we did talk about Mark Z. Danielewski's new book that's coming out by the end of the year, right? And that one's only 90 pages. So that'll be the trade off oh, for man. doing a 500 page Joe Hill as we'll get to do a 90 page Danielewski. Yeah, that averages down in like a much better uh, yeah. average page exactly. count for sure. So, anyway, I'm very <laughs> excited to, to do this with Dino next week. Um, Rob will not be present. Although um, Rob may be on the recording, it's going to be just me and Dino, which is going to give us a lot of opportunity to shit talk people who weren't willing to read this book. That's all I'm saying, Rob. I, I will say that um, now that we're talking about people who like the the outpouring of, of volunteers, we did on the previous episode cajole Thomas Joyce about it, and he um, very enthusiastically replied that he was not interested in reading it. So... Uh, <sighs> Very, very, um, I'm, I'm honestly surprised because after that I did, after I announced that we had a co-host for it, then I got a couple of people who were like, oh, I would have done it. And all I kept thinking is, well, you should listen to the fucking podcast then because yeah. you had two opportunities to like, to, to step up and you didn't. So it is yeah. what it is. Where were you? So yeah, very excited too. This is, in, this is, so we had the, the episode where, uh, me and Ryan, the marketing intern drove around talking about stuff on our way to pick up beer that Livius wasn't on, but that was essentially an interlude. Livius will now for the foreseeable future, always be one book review ahead of me. Um, until I find something that's so repulsive to Livius that he insists I review it with some other unnamed party. I don't see Rob. I take, I take my craft very seriously in reviewing books. So I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> uh, well, time will tell on that one, but it's I like <laughs> Bjork has a book out and I'm like, I can't take the screechy <laughs> crazy shit. Yeah. Well, can we talk a little bit about uh, the craft of reviews? Um, yes. Yes. Right. I'd love to. I'm guessing you have something in mind. Yeah. So uh, I, I mentioned this briefly to you before we got started, um, but there's been something that uh, a topic uh, amongst my, our author friends that uh, you know, it came up, I want to say, within the last six to eight months. And we kind of offhandedly have a conversation about it. I don't know if you remember. Um, and 
it's boiling back up again. And, and since it's come up several times, it, it got to the point where I was, I was about to start typing a response on social media. <laughs> and so Sorry. I was like, I know that feeling. Like, <laughs> and that if you have that feeling, like the thought that you had, cause you said I was about to start type, it's usually best just stop. Yeah. Type. Well, and yeah. it's, that's the thing. Like, I feel like, one of two things, I didn't, and I know I'm I'm dragging this out because I haven't even told anybody what we're talking about yet. One of the two things was going to happen was I was either going to give a very well thought out and informed opinion as an expert on the topic that no one would care about, or I'd get mired into some asinine argument. And I didn't like either option, so instead I decided let's bring it to the the medium where I have complete control. <laughs> And I, I completely guide the conversation on this, right? And then no one can do anything about it. So far, this is sounding brilliant, right? Right. I yeah yeah. Especially you should go on with with the the, the topic at hand. I think that people will appreciate my laughter a little more after that. Uh, so the topic that came up uh, a few months ago. Um, and then also just re resurfaced for me was the idea that um, people who do book reviews should not tag authors on social media in their negative reviews of their books. That's an interesting one, man. And this is this is like going to be like spoiler talk for a current event, because I'm not I'm not sure where I stand on that. Like yeah. I have a personal feeling about like how I would feel about it, uh, assuming like I don't write books, right? But if someone <laughs> were to review our podcast or, or comment on it, mm -hmm. so do you want me to me give you the this? sure? Yeah, I'll hit you with the lowdown of of what I know. So, um, uh, first of all, I saw um, Chuck Wendig on Facebook had posted an article he wrote on his website talking about tagging authors in your negative reviews. And it was in reference to a Book Riot article by Abby Hargraves um, that was written May 6th. So just the day before we were recording this. So this is fresh. This is some piping hot tea, like the kids say. So, so let me let me see if I... Chuck Wendig was like you, only he actually wrote out the thing. Wait, what? Like he saw something. <laughs> yes, he yes, saw exactly. He saw something on the 6th. <laughs> and he was like, God damn it, I have to respond to this right now. So here's the interesting thing. Abby Hargraves, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll par paraphrase here and there. Unpopular opinion, tagging authors and negative reviews is the name of the article. And uh, the essence of it is that um, she doesn't tag authors in her negative reviews, but she doesn't think it's a big deal. And then she goes on to explain, and I encourage people to, anybody who has an opinion one way or another on this should probably read her article, but she goes on to essentially say, and apologize if I don't get it exactly right. Um, I'm writing stuff, not about the author, but about the book. So the stuff that I'm writing is about the quality of the story, the plot, the characters, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so the author shouldn't take it personally. And then after that, she goes on to say, one of the points that I thought was interesting was, um, I tag the authors for, uh, the information of the readers, not so that the authors are aware of the article. So the basic idea, this person's a librarian, and she says, if I'm reviewing a book and I have something negative to say, it's about something about the content of the book, but I want my readers to be as informed as possible, so I'm tagging the author so they have access to more information. 
Okay. Um, I, I, I see her point. Yeah. Uh, Chuck's response was very... It wasn't like a... It was not necessarily a counterpoint. Um, Chuck's response was basically, in, in, in typical Chuck Wendig fashion, um, far more um, entertaining than I'll be about it. But uh, he essentially said that um, it's just kind of poor form to uh, to criticize something and then essentially by tagging, make the author aware of it so that they not have to read it, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, throw, like rubbing it in their yeah. face almost. And so um, he he was very clear to say you should, if you don't like a book, write a negative review about it. Um, it, it but just bringing it to the attention of the author is the kind of um, uh, just poor form. All right. I have some some pretty immediate thoughts on this. Um, I totally see where Abby is coming from. Mm hmm. Um, but I'm I'm probably Team Chuck on this one. Uh, I definitely think you should write a review. Um, and and look from somebody who has spent now over the course of the last you know five weeks, I have I bought a car, so I watch a ton of reviews on cars. I, I read reviews for other things I want to buy. I go on Amazon, right? I pull something up, and typically I do the the thing where I just go to the the poor reviews. So I can find out, you know, if the right. item is faulty or, or whatever. So, but I guess at no point would I like buy something, use it, have it be shitty, and then like tag the engineer that designed it. That's almost, it's weird because that's almost exactly like the point that Chuck was making. Mm-hmm. And that it's, it's incredibly valid is like, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> you're not. You're not going to be like, you're not going to look through like patent filings and stuff like that. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> all these like legal paperwork to find out who is the exact person who made your, yeah. And the more I think about it, I, I think where, where Abby might be a little off is that it's um it's 2019. I don't mean this to sound as shitty as it's going to sound, but like if I have the name of an author in the book, like I don't need the direction to get to the author. I so can like Google yeah. that stuff. I, I mean, what do we do? What, what did we do right before we got on this podcast? We looked up like four different books on Amazon. Yeah. Like we had the author's name and that was enough for us, to, you know, to, oh, yeah, to figure yeah. yeah, like without without having someone point and say, you know, here it's right here. You know, here's where you need to go if you want to find out more information. Like you, you can find out the information without being directed to the author's Twitter, or Instagram, Facebook, whatever page. Yeah. And, and um, I think that's kind of where I land on it, too. Um other people who have weighed in outside of like I didn't really forage through the comments uh, on social media, but um, separately, so I, I noticed the Wendig article earlier today. Separately, I was scrolling through Twitter, I believe, um, and that's where because that's where Paul Tremblay kind of does more stuff on Twitter than uh, Facebook, and he had mentioned it too, and it might have been just in response to to Wendig's article, and I remember Paul was one of the people. Um, back like whatever six or eight months ago when it came up before that had something to say about it and he was pretty much aligned with chuck on it so uh, interestingly uh if you remember uh john horner jacobs mm-hmm. uh he had he went on to to give an anecdote about uh an instance where in a review the person reviewing his book made a comment about his appearance like he was a burly dude or something like that and like that somehow factored into what they were talking about about the book which just sounds weird 
But then it made yeah. me think about it an instance where you criticize someone's haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true. But I didn't <laughs> feel that 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 I really liked that book. Yeah, the haircut, not so much. But <laughs> I wasn't attributing the book qualities to his haircut. Also, the haircut didn't impact the stars that you gave to the review. So that's true. Um, but yeah, like so, it really made me think um, about. I think that part of our impartiality. Uh, and objectiveness, objectivity, that's a better word, mm-hmm. when it comes to posting our reviews and stuff, is we are 100% universal in the way that we um, review stuff, mostly because we post our reviews. It's an automated thing. When a link shows up on our website, all these social media things just get kicked out that link. And so there's nothing personalized about it. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, we don't tag any author. Um because it's automated, yeah. except sometimes we really celebrate something that we really, really enjoyed, and we do additional posting, and we're like, hey, we love this thing, so-and-so, and you you know, like, Josh Mellerman, we like him a lot, maybe we'll tag him mm-hmm. in an extra post or something. Sure. Yeah, I I, I tagged um, Soya Stage for yeah. Baby Teeth, which yeah. is my favorite book of last year, so I, I thought she should know that, because that's how high quality i thought the book was so mm-hmm. yeah I, I i've never done that and i wouldn't do it to someone negatively i mean i think what it comes down to is is this and, and the one reason that like a like a product versus a book is different and, and I, I guess i can't say this universally i don't know that some guy at samsung didn't pour like his blood sweat and tears into the newest <laughs> tv you know but when you think author writing it's a it's a solitary thing and they're hunkered down in a room and it's probably kind of dark and they've just got some coffee and they chain smoke and they put their words on a page so i think it's like a little more personal than the guy that you know designed the dyson vacuum or you know what i mean insert item here um typically i'm assuming with the exception of the dyson guy because he's famous for inventing a vacuum right like it's a team of people and no one person is really responsible for for anything but you know you know what i'm saying i think it's a little bit different yeah i'm like tagging a director for a movie that sucks like someone handed him a script somebody else hired a bunch of people to do it and they're like here make this work right so i you know versus it being 100 percent all you a lot of blood sweat and tears on the page months years maybe of your work for someone to be like hey here's what i thought of your book fuck face uh, <laughs> yeah the book that you didn't ask me to read <laughs> so i i just found it it was something that had come up enough times that i i thought as as reviewers it would warrant our our kind of discussion or at least our putting our um official kind of thought on on where we stand on that and we i think that we have always tried to be as as fair as possible to authors um meaning sometimes we'll say negative things about you know maybe we'll do a little we'll get a little personal too about you know our objections to a book but we'll, we'll never just like rub it in your face the only problem comes in is like if we have a really negative response to a book that someone who we're close to wrote and we publish that review, regardless of what goes on, they're probably going to find it. And well, yeah. And that, that's another thought I had too. like, what author doesn't have like a Google keyword setup yeah. thing, you know, yeah. where they get pinged every single time somebody's somebody writes something about them. Um, yeah. I mean, we have the luxury of, of literally picking what we want to do Yeah, as far as books go. So there are only, there's a handful of times. I mean, E.L. James, James Patterson, 
um, that I think of where we really went into a book and I always go in open minded. But, you know, those books, we were like, all right, we're going to read Fifty Shades of Grey. And my expectation was I'm probably not going to like this very much just right. from things I'd heard or whatever. Right. You know, Patterson, the zoo, you know, the the um, co-writing, co-authoring program, whatever he called. You know what I mean? Like we kind of went into them not expecting the best thing. You and I just went through a list of books we want to do for the remainder of the year. And like 80 percent of the books we talked about, I'm like really excited about. So I, I expect because we've read other work by the people or, or whatever, like I expect a certain quality. But that also makes it harder when it's not as good as you'd hoped. Um, the Christopher Golden book we did last week is a perfect example of that. Yeah. You know, that book kind of came in a little low and it was more disappointing than if that was something somebody we'd never read before, or something that was sent to us by a publisher that we decided to do, because then I have no expectations. Then I expect I'm going to read a book. Now I'm going to read a book by a guy whose work I really like that just doesn't hit the mark. Right. Yeah. So, and ultimately, like, we have final control over whether, like, if a review just goes really horribly and we know it's just going to do more bad than good, we can just say, are we going to skip this? And, like, we waste a little time, but whatever. But, um, in general, man, like, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of neutral on the, the whole, like how authors should be treated thing. But I mean, the conversation should be about like the effect of the book, not about like the quality or character of the author or, or anything like that. It should never be a personal attack. So, um, I, I know that authors probably have the had their feelings hurt by us and obviously not the intention, but you know, sometimes it's going to happen. But like, I think as long as you stick to the conversation being about, um, the impact of what you read, um, and then following that pretty general, I mean, honestly, if you want to avoid getting in trouble with authors, um, just do, do what we do and automate your social media so that you never actually <laughs> need to personalize anything and you don't have to worry about it at all. Yeah, that is that is very true. It's interesting. It's interesting. I, I just <laughs> well, like the thought that, you know, like so we do this and I don't really think to myself, well, Christopher Golden's going to hear this review. There are times because there are people that we're we're close with that. I know I know they're waiting for a review. They've asked for a review. Yeah. Right. We were in a email conversation, you know, pretty much right now with somebody who's working really hard to get us our copies. Um, so if you don't think that guy's working to get us our copies, you don't think he's going to listen to the review when we do it. Yep. I'm pretty sure he's going to listen to it, which is why I also, if you guys have noticed, we never have an author on before we review their book. I don't think we ever have. It's always, no, post yeah, it's always after. Yeah. And it's, but it's two reasons. So first of all, um, you know, we, we, we don't want to have someone on and then shit on their book if their book is worth shitting on. Um, second of all, like we have questions that come up because we read the book. And then we can't, you know, go back two weeks in time to when we had the author on and ask them those questions. So it's always best to do it later. And then they also have that that kind of right of first refusal, right? Like they listen yeah. to it and they're like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you guys. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's That's a cool. courtesy yeah. to just be like, sure. hey, you mm -hmm. have you can listen to the review and decide whether or not, it, you know, talking to us is, is what you want to do. Unless you're David James Keaton, then we make you review your own book. Yeah, I think that he knows we're going to like everything he writes, though. So It's hard not to like Keaton stuff. Yeah. So, anyway. So that was that's an interesting thought. Like, I'm glad that that came up, and I'm glad that uh, I, I held back from 
um, di- diving into the social media uh, conversation because obviously it's superior when you can just say what you want without fear of any kind of response. Right. So if you have thoughts on what we just said, don't fucking tag Robin. Or he doesn't don't tag. Care. <laughs> Which is why I was laughing because when you're rolling this out, I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah. You want to have a statement that no one could respond to. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and that's the other thing. Like, I, I tried to apply that to myself. And if, if so, and, and I feel like I'm morbidly curious. Like, if someone, like, thought that our podcast was really bad, I would be more curious just to hear, like, hear, I'd want to dig into it. Well, it, it, it comes back to that thing, right? So, is it constructive? So, we've gotten, um, the one criticism that, that we've had more than once is length of episode. Yeah. And yeah, man, we leaned into that. They said shorter episodes. And I think that's when we started going an hour plus because <laughs> that's how much we listen. Like we love what we do and we talk for as long as it's fun for us to talk. Yep. Um, and you know, sometimes that tonight might only be 40 minutes next week might be two plus hours. Like it just depends on what's going on. So it was constructive criticism. I'd listen to it. I think by and large, our listeners like the format that we do because we haven't heard a lot. So I've had two people I'm aware of tell, tell us the podcast is too long in eight years. So either there's a lot of people out there who, who think the podcast is just long enough or they just don't, they're not bothered enough to yeah, comment. They have a, no opinion on it. Yeah. What was that one that we dug up? We dug up that review the oh, one time. Yeah, it was on it said, iTunes where it said uh, we say some things about women that are tough to stomach, I think, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't even disagree with that review, <laughs> but I was glad to, I was glad to read it. Like I wasn't sad about it. It's to me, I, I need specificity because like that's not enough for me to like really know to get to the bottom of it. You know what I'm saying? No, no. It's, it's too general for me to be able to act on anything. Correct. But, so. um, that being said, feedback, man, if you want to, uh, you can at me so that you can spare Livius's feelings. Cause I kind of, uh, kicked up this dust storm. Um, we'd love to hear what you think about the podcast, good or bad. We're not like out there looking for praise. Cause we're, we're so happy doing it regardless of whether we hear from you or not. But like, if you have even a minor, like, you know, suggestion or, or request or something like that, but like, man, if you've just been holding back a torrent of negativity, I'm so interested to hear what that would be like. If you've been holding back a torrent of negativity, get in <laughs> touch with me and we will put you on a goddamn episode. Yeah. <laughs> just be we'll a, be happy to we'll make you a co-host. Yeah. We'll be happy to, to talk to you about it. And I only say that like, half jokingly no i would totally endorse that yeah i i I would be okay with that so yeah at any rate um we'll see if we get as many responses we did to my request for someone to review the mister on this one so oh well i think i might have found a book that um i can get a co-host on that you won't touch which is what i was just i i this because uh like we just said a minute ago we're on amazon looking at um uh books that we were thinking about doing for the podcast and it was this was one of the customers who bought this or sponsored products you know based on what your whatever amazon does yeah the interesting thing about that is that it's a sequel yeah so this this is a little bit and i'm and we're discovering this as we talk but i saw big letters michael crichton the andromeda evolution and i know that andromeda strain right was the original Mm -hmm. from a long time ago and i'm not too familiar with it but um, I know that it's like a, a very famous book, right? 
Oh, yeah. Came out 50 goddamn years ago. I think that was one of Michael Crichton's first books, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and to my knowledge, Michael Crichton is not alive. Right? I'm not sure, but um, while you're talking, I'm sure I can find out. So here's what's going on. While Livius is trying to make me look like a fool, um, this is a novel written by author Daniel H. Wilson. Now, anybody who hasn't gone as far back in time as Thomas Joyce and started listening to us in the, you know, the 80s, the episodes in the 80s, um, Daniel H. Wilson, we have reviewed three times now. Uh, Robopocalypse... Um, there was one called Amped, and then there was Robogenesis. And they're all kind of like tech thriller, kind of like AI robot shit. And they were all garbage. I didn't and even remember we reviewed three of them. <laughs> I was waiting to hear what the third one is. I was like, nope, I'm still calling it two because I don't well, know what you're talking about. And the funny thing about that is when we were ta- when I told you we we're going to re- review the third one, you're like, we read two? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he wrote a sequel to the Andromeda strain. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, the tough part about I I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to reading it, so I want to I want to correct you there. Um, the problem is, like, how do you read a sequel to, like, a legendary book without knowing... Reading the original? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've done it. We've, we've done some sequels. Um, you know, just last week, the Pandora... Um... Room. Oh, Pandora Room. I was Jar, Box, Room. The Pandora Room. <laughs> was a sequel, although I was not aware of that, and it was very loosely a sequel. I would have to imagine this is probably tied a little more strongly to the source material. Yeah. Techno-thriller novel by Michael Crichton documenting efforts of a team of scientists investigating the outbreak of a deadly extraterrestrial microorganism in Arizona. And now, 50 years after the Andromeda strain made Michael Crichton a household name and spawned a new genre, the techno-thriller... The threat returns in a gripping sequel that is terrifyingly realistic and resonant. Resonant. Can I just say that um, Michael Crichton is no longer with us since 2008? So, yeah. That guy was 6'9", six, six feet nine inches tall. Michael Crichton was? Yeah, which is a really weird thing, because I'll bet you that there aren't a lot of other authors whose height is listed in that little side box on Google. <laughs> Right. Okay, I don't think it's just a lot of five eights. No, I've got to know. I'm going to look Daniel H. Wilson up. I'll look up Stephen King. He's pretty famous. Uh, no, I have his birthday, but oh, not. Yeah. Stephen King, 6'4". Apparently, yeah, these if you're authors over six are all tall. tall. Yeah, if you're over six feet tall, you get, you get your <laughs> height listed. Which, who, like, that's important for basketball players, right? Maybe models. Um, but... Oh, like Paul Tremblay, no height listed, and he's a tall guy. He is tall too. Yeah, Josh yeah. Mallerman, no height listed, very tall. How, all right, all right. So here we go. How do I get my height listed on Google? Because <laughs> because I'm gonna start doing this for authors whose whose height isn't listed. <laughs> I'm just gonna start sending out messages. Hey man, how tall are you? Wait, who's a really short author that we are aware of? Wait, you don't want to say a short author's name on the podcast. That's like tagging them in a negative yeah, review. That's true. Um, yeah, my my initial Google search did not um, come up with the uh, the answer I'd hoped for. Huh. 
I, it must pull it from Wikipedia, I'm guessing. Um, yeah. Yeah, because that I, sidebar is, is all Wikipedia. So it has to be, like, you have to have a, a significant enough article on Wikipedia, I'm guessing. Well, so Rob, like, you have some time off. I think you should take on the task of updating the Wikipedia for all these authors whose height isn't listed. Hold on, James Patterson. No height listed. Look it up. See, double check on your on your computer. I want to make sure that... I don't know why it would be different. James Patterson. It is a Wikipedia article. No height listed. That's because he's a shorty. I bet you he's a shorty. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm going to spend my... I got some vacation time. I got a, like a little week and a half coming up. And uh, I'm just going to even the odds for the, the short authors. You should. It's not yeah. fair. It's not fair. Yeah, it's heightest. <clears throat> the problem I have with this conversation is that now I'm just going to start wondering how tall authors are. <laughs> like if oh. I have to Google them and it doesn't come up on the sidebar, I'm just going to be like, man, I wonder how tall this guy is. I wonder how short this guy is. What if we like uh, we like, had a height requirement for our book reviews? Like you must be this tall. Haruki Murakami like, is not tall enough to be reviewed by us is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> You mean like a like a girl on Tinder? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna uh, we're a girl on Tinder. You must be over six feet tall in order to get reviewed by us. That's we're also correct. we're also looking for sugar daddies. Sorry, Aaron Morgan Stern. I don't think you cut it. Fuck that. We're definitely reading her next book. We are. I just I pulled oh her up God. to see if her height was there as the first woman's author's name that came to mind. <clears throat> and in her picture, and it's just like a head and shoulder shot, but I'm like, yeah, she doesn't look very tall. <laughs> You're just judging her. So that's exciting news, though. Her sec- we, we reviewed uh, The Night Circus. It was probably in the the 50s, like 52. <laughs> the 1950s, what? Uh, back in the 1950s, in the episodes in the 50s, yes. sub 100. Um, and The Starless Sea comes out in November, so I'm very excited about that. That book was so goddamn good too, was, man. I wonder now if we went back and reviewed it like seven years later, would we think differently of it, having gone through so many books since then? Um, the the Polinic conundrum is what I'm going to call this. Yeah, I I doubt it. I honestly yeah. doubt it. Yeah, I, agree. I agree. I mean, look, I I'm arguing with you about how many Daniel Wilson books we've reviewed. And I still remember the night circus. Like it was, you know, a month ago. That's a strong so, Testament. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, I, we, I might hook you into reading in November, Michael Crichton's the Andromeda evolution, not written by Michael Crichton. Yeah. Well, and that, see the thing that sucks about that too, is like, obviously someone owns the, the rights to that. Like yeah. Michael Crichton did not sign off on this, which also makes it a little, little tough. Yeah, well, hinky. It's like a I cash read the girl, the girl in the spider's web. I see it. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Every time I see it, I think, man, I should read that because I like the other three books. And I'm like, no, man, like that dude died, and I don't like, I don't know, I, eh, you know. Did I tell eh. you I watched that movie? There's a movie of it. The girl in the spider's web. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't know. We did not talk about this. Let's talk about this. Was it any good? Not really. Let me ask you, because uh, you read all three of the original Millennium Trilogy books, right? Yes. Um, how, did she... Did, did did Elizabeth Salander have a sister? Elizabeth, not that I rem- sorry. Not that, yeah, not that I remember. 
mean, if she did, it wasn't like a character in the book. I don't know if in passing it was mentioned. You know what I mean? But no, not not as a an active participant in any of the books. Well, she did in this. Oh, all right. I think I know everything I need to know. Yeah. If you have an unhappy <laughs> sister, those two words is going to tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> hey, speaking of books, I walk past um, and see. I was in. Uh, I, let me let me back up a little bit. I have nothing but the utmost respect for bookstores and libraries. I want to start by saying that because then I'm going to go into the next thing that I'm going to say. No, listeners know, and you know this, right? Like there's no way I want a paper book. If I can have the digital right. copy, that's my preferred method, blah, blah, blah. And since I've adopted that policy, like I get excited about going to bookstores, but then I get there and I'm not excited about being there anymore. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was in two bookstores last week. I was in um, Barnes and Noble where I purchased a notebook, which was my primary reason for going there was not to peruse shelves, but I did do that for a little bit. And I just, I felt, I felt nothing. Like I didn't feel anything, but a couple days later I had to kill a little bit of time and I was in a books a million, a bam. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. bam. A bam. You were at the bam. I was at the bam and really because <laughs> I was just waiting on something and I was like, Oh look, there's a books a million. I was in a mall. So walked through there and I started feeling a little nostalgic for reading, which is going to sound really weird because I do a book review podcast (laughs) and I really feel like I I know I've said it before, you know, hopefully won't have to say it for much longer. I read less now than I've ever read (laughs) in my life and it makes me sad. Yeah, And I really, I was like, just looking at some book covers and I was kind of thinking about like, this is going to sound like, like, like something you tell like a 10 year old you want to read, like all these adventures that are going on in these books that I was not reading. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing. That's really, no, it's, it's serious. I, I, I'm kind of laughing at myself about it though. So I, I, I kind of want to recommit to reading more outside the podcast, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it was because of a trip to the bookstore that I think I'm finally going to do that. So my plan is to um, get back to reading at a minimum one book a week. That would include what we do here um, and trying to get past that 50 per year um, that I used to do, like without even thinking about um, before we did the podcast. So I've got to stop looking at reading as a chore, which is a little bit what booked has done to me. Oh yeah, bit. totally. Well, because, because I have a time frame, like I have to have it done by then. And sometimes I think that works against me. Like if I was just reading a book, I'd be like, oh, I've got some time. I'm going to read this book. And now I'm like, well, I've got to have this book done by Monday. So uh, I'm only going to read 15% today. You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. So, but yeah, it was a, it was a, a little bit of a eye opening is the right word, but it was a revelation that, mm. that I had that I really miss reading. So I'm going to do more of it. I was worried that you were going to say that your goal was going to be to start a second podcast. So you have to like review like one on there, one on here, and like <laughs> no. that's how you read more. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how this thing with Dino goes down. But uh, no, <laughs> listen. You know how you know what my my second podcast idea is. I just have to <laughs> buckle down and convince you that we need to do it. All right, all right. Uh, did I tell you about running into a, an old acquaintance in the bookstore recently? Did I tell you that story? Negative. 
All right. So uh, I posted on social media last weekend that I was in a uh, half price books. And uh, I found a. God damn it, I have to look at it because I don't remember the name. The house down the block by the river next to the tree. Yeah. With some bushes in front of it. The Matt Bell book in the house upon the dirt between the lake and the woods. And it is a sleeved hardcover first edition, uh, first printing signed by Matt Bell. I was like, all right, good score. This is the same one that I found the uh, hardcover first uh, first edition of Apathy and Other Small Victories. So, Dude, that sucks, though. So he's got a signed book, and it ends up at half-price books. Yeah, but it was actually full price, so there was at least there was a lie involved. Oh, okay. Um, like, it had been marked specially, like, signed, you know, author, signed by author, and, like, that's why it costs more I or whatever. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, so not like when you pick up a copy of the book anthology in a thrift store that someone donated. <laughs> do you? All right. So do you remember that dude in Australia? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. He bought it on eBay. Oh yeah. Whatever. No, that's what it was. On eBay, Adam. Yeah. yeah Adam. Yeah. Adam, whose legs don't work, mom's fucking donated it to her church or something and ended up on eBay. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, now we know. Now Matt Bell knows our pain. Um. Anyway, so I find that book, I look around, it ends up being the only book I want to buy. And um, this is that day that we had the Sunday that was like snowing like fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, it's snowing, I'm going to go driving around. And uh, <laughs> okay. totally makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, that's was you're like, probably the only person thinking that. That was, was a unique idea that day. I was a little stir crazy. So uh, I get up to the, you know, the register and I, you know, I make I complete my purchase and there's a guy standing behind me. And I'm just walking. I turn to walk out, and they say "Rob" in like a questioning way, not in like a confident way. And so I turn and I look at this person, and there's like a good ten, fifteen seconds of silence where I'm just looking at this person as like the gears turn, because I recognize them, but I don't know who the hell they are. Finally, I'm like Eric, and it turns out so this was a guy who I went to school with uh, up through you know the end of high school. And so we do this two minutes of, like, just regular chit-chat catch-up, like, you know, glad-handing, pleasantries, blah, blah, blah. And um, they say goodbye, and then I, I kind of go on with my life, and as I'm driving home, I'm thinking about, wow, what are the chances that I run into this dude? Even though we both live near to the town where we went to high school, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. And then I remember... Like, I only really have one clear memory of this guy. And it's, uh, <laughs> so do you remember, uh, in middle school, at least for us, it doesn't happen now, I'm guessing, there was like that year in, in gym class where like they made you start doing the showers. Um, like there was that, there was it, you hit no. that age where like now you shower after gym class. So Chicago public schools, at least in the eighties, um, <laughs> that I, we didn't have showers at the, at the elementary school, which oh. was K through eight, um, high school we did. Yeah. And it was a requirement only, um, after, uh, before and after swimming because we had an Olympic size oh. pool. Well, that makes so it was sense. only mandated then, like you could do it, but they didn't give you a lot of time to like change after gym class. It was like five minutes. If you were going to shower, it was going to have to be like super fast. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely like, and I don't think it was all of middle school, but seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. There was a point where like the fucking gym teacher had to give us, like, tell us how to use a towel. Right. Where he's like telling (laughs) you like, 
you got to start by cl- drying your head and then you work down, you work with gravity. And he's like showing mm-hmm. us like, he's like demonstrating with a dry towel on his clothed body, <laughs> how to use a towel. Like we haven't been showering for like the 13 <laughs> like, years leading up no to this. No one ever taught me. I don't know how, because you said it and I was like, man, I'm glad I'm doing it right. Yeah. I'm like fucking taking notes. Like, oh man, <laughs> what have I been doing all this time? Uh, I just, I've just been throwing the towels on the ground and rolling around on them. So I'm still hoping for a wipe my ass class because I'm not sure if I'm get, <laughs> if I'm getting that down right. I should have gone to school in the birds. You guys yeah. probably got that in like high school, right? Uh yeah, it was junior year health class. Yeah, I'm kidding. Good lord. Um, so anyway, my memory of this dude has to do with the shower in in middle school. So it's like the first time the the first day of gym class where like it, the showering after after gym class was an option. And I'm already in the shower room, showering it up. And this fucking guy, Eric, who I saw at the bookstore, God, I hope he doesn't know I do a podcast, comes running in to the shower room, having forgotten to take off his socks. And he hits like the wet floor Mm -hmm. and is just like hydroplaning on one foot. He's got like one foot off the ground and he's like sliding on the other foot, like across. And then he falls just flat on his back like a like the back equivalent of a belly flop. Mm-hmm. And then he just gets up and goes back and gets dressed. Cause it was, that was it. <laughs> See the, your, your gym teacher taught you how to towel off, didn't <laughs> teach you how to shower. So he thought if I just go throw myself on the wet floor, <laughs> that's it. That's how you shower. A little bit of water in the back. <laughs> it never occurred to me that that was his method. He did that um, like Navy SEAL thing where like, you know, when they dive off the boat. So he was like sitting on the edge of the bathtub and I'm leaning up in my chair, right? And he just throw himself back into the bathtub and then he'd get up and he'd be like, I'm good to go. He did have his nose pinched in his fingers now that I remember it. Yeah. So. So. (laughs) All right. Well, there we just had a revel. I always thought that he fell on accident. You're saying this was his showering technique. Not a lot of soap action in his his method, (laughs) I'm going to say. No. You know, we shower more than we should, according to studies. Yeah. Like, you're not supposed to do it, like, every day. So, so um, if if we didn't go to bookstores, we wouldn't run into former classmates and remember them they're naked crashing into a you know, room full of naked men. <laughs> so The cool thing is you went to school with someone who w- was in a bookstore, like whatever 20 plus years <laughs> later right like yeah i'm thinking back to my high school class and I, I don't know that i could say that if i went to the neighborhood i went to high school and, and and moved into the bookstore literally set up shop there that i would ever see anyone i went to school with well i don't want to take any shine off of your sentiment but i'm fairly certain he was holding comic books <laughs> comic books or books bro i well that's yeah i just wanted to make sure that we were it was a, it's a lot of pictures but yeah <laughs> you didn't have he didn't have a copy of the book anthology in his hands. This feels like the conversation that my girlfriend and I frequently have when someone, uh, whenever I say the word action figure, mm-hmm. and she feels the need to correct it to dolls. I'm oh, like, they're not dolls; yeah. they're action figures. Like, and it doesn't matter. It's not like I have the action <laughs> figures. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like I'll be like, oh, look at that! Look at that cool! This is a new Star Wars action figure. Should be like dolls, and I'm like, no, no, they're not dolls. And this is kind of the same conversation about comic books and real so, books. Well, I have a. I want to clarify something. Um, 
Is there a reason that she corrects you to dolls? I think it's because she used to tease her brother when he was a kid. Okay. And she'd say, oh, look, he's playing with his dolls, which would infuriate him. And then he would he would have the same argument with her that I do, that they're action figures. They're not dolls. <laughs> so she just so. wants to emasculate dudes or something. Pretty much. All right. Maybe just me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I, I like know. it. They're action figures. Did you have action figures? You don't strike me as the kind of kid that had action figures. We, I did. Me and my brother are like a year apart, year and a half apart in age. And um, so I think the earliest I can remember is the He-Mans. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what then, I was going to ask is what, what action figures were, were, were your thing, were your jam. Heavily, heavily into the G.I. Joes. The ones that were like probably what four or five inches big, and you could like unscrew them and like switch the parts around and stuff. I totally used to do that. Yeah, of course you did. Yeah, custom yeah. GI Joes. Yeah. Yeah, you you're putting so and so's legs on someone else's legs, and then the yeah, rubber you band could only breaks. Do the legs. Yeah, the legs on. The, yeah, that stupid rubber band. You could really only do like the legs and the arms. Like the torso and the head were kind of stuck. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think you could do heads on those. I had, I think, six of the eight original. Those are the four-inch figures. Like. You know, like the ones when they were just wearing, like they were all wearing just like the green, like army green. Yeah, yeah. Except oh, wow. for like Snake Eyes and Scarlet. And like the other six were, oh God, I wonder if I could do this. Grunt. Shit, I can't. Hawk? <laughs> you made it one name in. <laughs> no, I'm trying to, so it was, no, because it was Gung Ho, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Grunt, Hawk. Shit, that's five. No, Firefly was later. Yeah, I was really into into the GI Joes, man. I was really into the GI Joes. You know I'm on eBay right now looking up. I know you are. That's going to be your um, gift exchange this year, GI Joe figures. Nice. Get me eight of the original ones in original packaging, if you could, please. Oh, no, I was just going to buy them loose so you could play with them. Play with my action figures? Yeah. Not your dolls. Do you remember? Yeah. So I mean, we're way we're way off here, but we went we went into that. Um, there was that toy store. We were at that Daniel Lewski reading in Chicago. Wait, wasn't Sergeant was that... Slaughter one of them? So Sergeant Slaughter was later. Yes, okay. he was a he was a he was a a GI Joe. He was a wrestler, but they actually made him into an action figure and a GI Joe character. Right. Uh, we went into that weird little collectible toy store. And they just had like bins of that yeah. shit, man. Yep. Like yep. loose, like you could just like like a buck a piece or something. I should go back down there, buy some action figures. Oh, dude, I'm on eBay. Hmm? Remember how we were just complaining about that rubber band? Fifty pieces, new GI Joe three and three quarter inch replacement O ring bands. <laughs> GI Joe Cobra Action Force four ninety nine for fifty of those. You can destroy the hell out of those rubber bands. We got you covered. Oh my God! It's it, you know what's funny is that someone's selling them now. Like I could see if there was like a yeah. collectible toy store or whatever, like an eBay store selling fifty of them at a time. That's crazy. That's amazing. Ooh, huge GI Joe three three quarter vintage lot nineteen eighties. There's like, there's got to be sixty action figures here. Link me, please. It's two hundred seventy five dollars. That sounds like a good deal for sixty of them. All right, I'm sending you a link, and I'm going to change the topic. Yes, please. For um, the love of God, please. I just want to talk about something I was watching minutes before we started our conversation, because I'm very excited about this. So, like, minutes before we got on to do this episode, 
Um, I finished watching, I'm one episode away from finishing season two of Deadwood um, in anticipation of the Deadwood movie coming out on HBO May 31st. And the trailer looks great, by the way. I don't know if, I, if uh, you watched the trailer, but... Um, I did not. It's like, imagine Deadwood, but everybody looks a little older and everybody's <laughs> got gray hair. Well, it's been a while, right? How many years has it been? Uh, I mean, it's got to be between 15 and 20, right? Uh, I don't know. A little about bit on the long side. Let's see. Yeah. 2006 was when it the the series finished. So 13, yeah, 13, 13 years. That's close. Um, you know the the best, the most interesting, the best part of that is that this was always planned, right? Like right after they cancel it, they're like, no, no, we're gonna do a movie, we're gonna wrap it up. And for years, everyone was waiting and waiting, and then it was just a few years ago that they tore down the set. Oh, yeah. Like, the news was they finally tore down the Deadwood set, and then everyone was like, well, that's it, no movie. And then, boom, here it goes. And then, yeah, here's your movie. We tore down the set, we built it again, and now we can make a movie, so. Well, the weird thing that I'm noticing now that I'm almost done with two seasons of it is just how many, because obviously Timothy Oliphant went on to do Justified, Mm -hmm. and it is probably its top three favorite TV shows for me. Um, And... I'm noticing how many people from Justified or from Deadwood are in Justified or Justified or in Deadwood, however you want to look at it. And mm. like, it seems like, uh, I think I've counted like easily nine or 10 actors. Oh, like, wow. Crossover between the two shows. Is there, um, is it, is it possible that it's like produced by the same people or something along those lines? Uh, I will double check, but I don't believe so. David Milch did Deadwood. Um, and Graham Yost did Justified, so no, okay. it's different people. Uh, but I mean, that excellent spillover. Like the people that you would like want to see in other stuff are the ones that are you know showing up in Justified. So it's just so exciting to see all these people. It, it was cool. That is very cool. I uh, I mean Timothy Oliphant also went on to do the Santa Clarita Diet. I watched the first episode of that and I was like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah, you didn't miss. I watched the entire first season and I think part of the second season and yeah, no, nothing, nothing there. That's too bad. He'll, he'll bounce back and we'll put a gun back in his hand and everything will be fine. <laughs> the problem with it is, and, and I, I don't want you to watch it just for this, but I'm pretty sure that that guy was high the entire time he was on set. <laughs> Maybe I, you know what? Is it the way he looked? Cause he's, yeah. cause when he was in the office, like in the little bits he was in the office, mm-hmm. he definitely had kind of like a squinty eye thing going on. So yeah. I think that's and, just how he is. But he, he didn't in Justified. I don't remember ever thinking that in Justified. That's a good <laughs> he point. Did four seasons of that. Hmm. So I think that those other shows were like, yeah, if you want to get baked, man, go ahead. <laughs> that's possible. So all right, <laughs> all right, we should probably put this uh, this train back on the rails. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening to an interlude episode of Booked. Next week, as promised, Yale James the Mister with guest host Dino Parenti. Super excited about this. Me too. I can't wait to uh, not do anything for the episode next week. Um, yeah. It's going to be a highlight of the entire podcast for me. So that's going to wrap it up for this. Join us. Join them next week i just it's weird to say join everybody but me next week for a review of el james till then i'm rob olson
And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading.